0: Kristen, one of the movies we're talking about this week is The Green Inferno, about a group of people who travel to the rainforest in Peru, where I have been. Ooh, what happened to you there? Uh, I got my leg eaten off by a cannibal. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's Uh, the plot of the movie. That happens in the movie. That did not happen to me. Uh, The people in Peru are very nice. They were very nice to me, Uh, much nicer to me than uh, than they were to the people in this film.
1: Did you meet a llama?
0: I think I did. I think I probably did. I don't know if I rode one. Um, <laughs> did you? Have you ever been to the rainforest? I've been to a few. I, I was in Costa Rica
1: earlier this year, and I was in a rainforest there. Oh, other and, so like other
0: uh, not, not sort of like the rainforest not, that not we all the, think about. No,
1: and and the rainforest cafe I was at recently, <laughs> which cafe. is just schlocky and horrible. Don't go to the rainforest cafe. By the way, they do not donate any of their money to the rainforest. Is that true? In high school, I. Uh, I was a major environmentalist in high school, and I would meet with heads of restaurants and talk with them about their environmental policies. And the Rainforest Cafe, I said, what percentage of your profits actually go to the rainforest? And they said, well, every single penny that goes into the wishing well from our customers goes toward Gosh. the rainforest. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> this this is your version of environmentalism, you douches? I'm sorry. Excuse that's, my language. I was
0: so mad. That's hilarious. Oh, well, I'll tell you one thing about the greed Inferno. They've probably contributed something to the rainforest as well. <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Uh, but first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday.
1: And I'm Kristen Mines, our culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. <laughs>
0: Kristen, we have quite a few movies to get through uh, this podcast. We've got at least four biggies to talk about. Uh, The first one we're going to do is Sicario with Emily Blunt and Josh Brolin. It's the latest film from Denis Villeneuve. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. Much better than I would pronounce it. French-Canadian director, who I love a lot. Uh, Tell us about this one.
1: All right. So we have an idealistic FBI agent being played by Emily Blunt, and she gets kind of dragged into or recruited into the more nitty-gritty border wars with some people who are not always necessarily on the straight and narrow, not always following the rules. The Mexican-American
0: border, you're talking about, the drug wars.
1: Yes, that's right. Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro play two guys who will maybe do anything they can to do what seems morally right to them, but everything's a little bit morally blurry. And Emily Blunt's just trying to get her head on straight about what's happening here. She's seeing a lot of death, a lot of bodies on poles, yep. people being shot up right on, like, a busy freeway, and she's trying to figure out what's good, what's bad, and everything's very morally murky. Here's a clip. Move.
2: Wait, wait, wait. wait. Get out
1: of the car. Jesus Christ. It's a Don't move. Don't move. Don't move. Don't move oh, no, 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 no.
0: Compass.
1: Compass.
0: So uh, I like Emily Blunt a lot. Oh and, I love her. And I ever loved, since that
1: double wears Prada. That's
0: right. And I love Josh Brolin. And oh, Josh yeah. Brolin is great in this movie as this kind of you never. Well, the whole point is you're not quite sure what he is. Is and, he a uh, good guy? Is he a bad right, guy? Right. He's like
1: a charming cowboy, but he's also kind of somebody who's not afraid to take out his gun at any point and say threatening things. Yep,
0: that's right. And uh, Emily Blunt is hanging around with a lot of these gnarly mercenary types, black op types. Who are these guys? Where do they come from? She has no idea. Uh, as Benicio del Toro's character says. Uh, nothing you hear will make sense to your American ears, but in the end you will understand. Uh, which is a great line. And so, what did you think of this?
1: I thought that it started off with a bang. I love yes. the way it started. You're breaking into a house outside of Phoenix in the suburbs, and it turns out that a lot's happened in this house that yes, is indeed. unsavory, to <laughs> yes, put <indeed>. it mildly. <laughs> However, Everything slows down so much after that, and I felt that the pacing was so slow, and I felt that this constant message of everything's morally murky, I eventually just felt like they were preaching at me. We get it. Everything's Hmm. morally murky. And it just didn't sustain my interest after a certain point,
0: which Ah. is too bad, because I love the cast in this movie. Uh, I I know what you're saying. Uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve is the guy who did um, Enemy, he did Prisoners, and he did... uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm probably pronouncing everything wrong. Um, he is a very moody, somber, brooding filmmaker. And he's So got, much
1: atmosphere. Yeah,
0: really atmospheric, which I love about him. I do think you're right. That tendency he has... Um, sometimes mutes the action, especially when he's trying to do a thriller like this, sort of like a basically a, a crime thriller. Um, and it does it doesn't deliver sort of a, a lot of the electricity you might expect. But I thought it was really gripping. Um, I thought Roger Deakins cinematography is great. It's got this really moody, dark, um, just very submersive atmosphere to it. I liked it. I thought the film also worked as like a, um, like a proxy almost or a stand-in for The War on Terror as well, where we're facing a lot mm-hmm. of the same issues and the same kind of murky morality. Um, but I liked it. I would not say it was a fantastic date. It's not a knock-your-socks-off date. But I thought it was a good, grown-up, interesting crime thriller, and I, uh, I, really, I really enjoyed it.
1: Mm, I thought it was a mediocre date at best, mediocre. I think that, yeah we're a lot smarter than this
0: movie thinks we are interesting, okay. Yeah.
1: Grafer, let's switch gears a little bit, shall we? Okay. From the border wars to the generation
0: gap. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're talking about the intern.
1: Yes, I am, where we have a fashion startup that's being run by Anne Hathaway. We have a 70-year-old guy being played by Robert De Niro. He's retired. He's a widower. And he's, he's a little bit bored with the retired life. Yes. This new startup has a senior intern program. He's going to go in there. He's going to not have to be so bored in life and he's going to learn something or are they going to learn from him aha here's a clip
2: oh thanks but you don't have to i can open
0: the door sure. okay so this shouldn't take more than an hour but if you can't stay here i'll call becky and then she'll find you and then you can just pull up worry.
2: right i'll be here i think i got to eat today should i pick you up some sushi so
0: that's Robert De Niro who's been uh basically is now uh the driver for uh Jules Austin played by Anne Hathaway. She's the uh online fashion CEO that you're talking about. Um this all takes place in Brooklyn, uh basically right around my house, yeah. about a 3 block radius from my house. Um I see Union Market in there. I see Rancho Alegre. Boy, was I sorry to see Rancho Alegre in there. I oh, hate that. yes.
1: I saw that. hate it's that not restaurant. I at all. God. I don't know how it's lasted so Why long. Why is it still open? Is it just because there's a nice view of the street because it's upstairs? I
0: don't know. You see so many it's other restaurants fold, and Rancho Alegre is still there. Yeah, Thanks little, a lot, ov- intern. That for overpriced it open.
1: Korean place underneath it yes, is there <laughs> so Exactly.
0: Expensive. Anyway, all right. So that was maddening, but still. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Now, but like you're saying, Kristen, you know, what you're waiting for with this premise, it's a big, you know, classic you know, high concept, maybe not high concept, but <laughs> classic Hollywood premise, right? Opposites, two opposites, young, young, you know, tech savvy chick and older, you know, widower guy. Um, but what do they learn from each other? Well, he, really nothing.
1: No, they learn a little bit. He, he learns things like how to use Facebook. Oh, he, There's well, like little tiny things. Yeah, she's, tiny things. She, she's she's learning to feel confident in her strength as a CEO. Right. He's teaching I, all the other young guys in the office things like how to talk to a woman.
0: <laughs> you should carry a handkerchief. Yeah, things like
1: that. Those, Those are how to be so a tiny. Those are they such
0: are. tiny little yes, things, they are, but
1: But you're right. There's nothing monumental that happens in this movie, which I think is usually the case in Nancy Meyer's movies. And in Nancy Meyer's movies, it's frequently like... This is not monumental. This is just life.
0: I mean, that's true. I know what you're saying. Nancy Myers, um, who's so great. She did um, The Parent Trap, uh, Baby Boom, uh, It's Complicated. Something's um, Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give. These are all great movies. And the one thing I will say about Nancy Myers is she's so good. Whatever Whatever contemporary era we are talking about, she captures that era. Oh, she yeah. captures sort of... The, the modernity of the era so well, and she does that here. The writing is so good. You know, all these details that are in everyone's, when people are talking, you know, uh, uh, Ben, De Niro's character, talks about his briefcase. He talks about all these different things that he's in his briefcase that he's had for 40 years and where he used to work and what his daily routine is. All these things really ring true, and the same goes for Anne Hathaway's character. Uh, everything she's going through, her routine, seems really real and really vivid and 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 you you believe it and yet so little happens in the film they they just kind of everyone kind of gets along and they discover that actually she kind of likes Ben even though she wasn't that into him in the first place but he's kind of cool and he thinks oh she's good i'm going to help her out a little bit here and there by just being around for her and then the film kind of ends and that's pretty much it <laughs> and I, I mean on the one hand i kind of felt like well that wasn't much of a movie but I still walked out feeling kind of happy because oh, me too. everyone's yes. so charming and the writing is so good and it's got Nancy Myers has such a light touch.
1: Yeah, I always feel that her movies are about fifteen percent too slow and they're always about fifteen percent too long. Uh, that's but, true.
0: This one's a little long. You're
1: yeah, right. but but I still. I'm always happy when I see one of her movies. I There's, know, And her characters are always so likable. Yeah. Like, who doesn't want to hang out with Robert De Niro every day? I know. His character, Ben, And Anne, Anne movie, Hathaway. And Anne Hathaway. It's like, oh, she's like all my girlfriends who I like the best in this world.
0: Right. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so you thought it was a, what would you say, good date?
1: Oh, I totally enjoyed this date. I totally enjoyed it. it. Was it was sweet? It was not challenging. It was totally pleasant. It made me happy. It's the kind of date that just made me feel good about the world
0: afterward. Yeah, I guess I guess that's what I would say too. It's a it's a, a, a fine a fine pleasant date. <laughs> that that's kind of all I can say about it.
1: Let's go to another part of New York now rather than Park Slope Brooklyn yes let's, let's head over to the West Village to Stonewall Rafer
0: the West Village of 1969 in fact uh, this is uh uh, West Village on Christopher Street right before the gay rights riots that happened at the Stonewall Inn. Um, this movie called Stonewall is by Roland Emmerich, who we mostly know for these giant, gung-ho, rah-rah blockbusters like Independence Day. And, the um, Day
1: After Tomorrow. The Day After
0: Tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and I think also Godzilla. Um, so that's usually <laughs> what he does. And here he's taken this very small, intimate story about a young teen from the Midwest who is uh, – basically has to leave his small town because he has been outed. He's been found out to be having a relationship with a a fellow male classmate. He arrives in the West Village with a suitcase and a few bucks, falls in with a crowd of uh, transgender uh, prostitutes, uh, you know, gay male prostitutes, uh, led by uh, Johnny Beauchamp as Ray, who's very good in this film, I thought. And um, this kid, Danny, played by Jeremy Irvine, is just trying to kind of find his way in this new world where everywhere – homosexuality is very open, and yet he's still dealing with police raids and all the oppression that comes with it. Here's a clip. Oh, she's back. The queen of queens herself, Danny. Meet Marsha Johnson. Marsha P. Johnson, if you please, darling. What does the P stand for? Pay it man. (laughs) Marsha's the only drag queen that's nice to us. Those other nasty bitches don't know one day Jesus is going to punish them for their sins and fuck them up good.
1: Now, Rafer, this movie has gotten a lot of criticism from people who who feel the film doesn't actually depict all the diversity of the gay rights movement during this era, all the people of color. It's not necessarily told through the lens of the people who have been on the ground in New York for decades before this. It's just this fresh-faced white guy from the Midwest. What, What do you think about that?
0: I would say a couple of things. I think one, um, I think that character is kind of necessary. I think he also represents something very real about that time. Here's a kid who was a high school football star with a scholarship to Columbia. And yet because of his homosexuality and the way his society at home reacts to him, he can't stay there. And the next minute he's virtually homeless. And I think that's a a real truth of what it was like to be young and gay at the time. Um, That's what happens to you. You could be a promising young man one minute, and the minute people find out that you're gay, you're out. You are on the streets. And um, I thought that was very interesting. And you need that character to bring you into this new world and show you what a remarkable world the, the West Village was to someone from Indiana, from Kansas, from somewhere else in the country, what a mecca it was to come there and be so open open and and free or at least as free as you could be at the time. Um, There are black characters. There are transgender characters. There are older characters, uh, um, guys all based on um, and actually not just based on real characters, but they they are real characters um, who were gay rights activists and who were people that wound up being part of the coming gay movement after the Stonewall riots. I'm, you know. I'm not one to talk. I'm I'm not gay. I wasn't there. Um, I don't remember it. I I know it only obviously third hand from history, but I would disagree. I think it shows. Um, I think it shows that that time and place as being very vibrant, problematic, um, and important. And I think it works. I don't think it's a great film. I think it's a little low energy, and the story's a little scattered, a little vague. But I think overall, um, it's got a real sincerity and heart to it that comes through to me, and uh, I thought it was a a pretty good date. Please tell me it's better than the Stonewall movie from the 1990s. I never saw that Stonewall
1: movie. I never saw it. Listeners, don't watch that movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. I think Roland Stonewall is perfectly good.
1: (laughs) All right, Rafer, it's time for a piece de resistance. Oh, yes. The delicious... Green Inferno. Tell us about it.
0: <laughs> well, this is the latest from Eli Roth, the writer-director of Hostel, you may remember. Uh, in this movie, he has set his sights on a bunch of uh, college and college-age environmental radicals. Uh, they've got a group called ACT they're going to go to Peru and uh, chain themselves to some trees, and blow up some bulldozers, stop the evil corporation from mowing down the rainforest, and they're going to save this local tribe in Peru. Uh, there's a young girl named Justine who joins them. She's a little bit smitten with Alejandro, who's the leader of the of the radicals. He's so uh, charismatic. Yes, he's so, so
1: passionate so about the causes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: and uh, but she goes because she also feels that she's got uh, you know that she's righteous in her cause. Anyway, they do go to Peru, and, of course, what happens is the tribespeople, the very tribespeople that they're trying to save, wind up hunting them down and eating them for dinner. Here's a clip. I love you. I love you, too.
2: Please be safe. I will. Bye. See you Monday.
1: That's Justine's friend saying goodbye to her. See you Monday. But you may not see her on Monday, (laughs) as we know, as Rafer was just saying. Uh
0: Cannibalism. That's right. That's uh, Sky Ferreira, the singer, playing uh, Justine's friend Casey, by the way. Uh, <laughs> she's actually quite amusing in this film. Um, and uh, Sky Ferreira is really actually the voice of, I think, Eli Roth in this in this movie right uh, while Justine is saying oh look at those guys what are they doing i wish i could join them Casey says the only thing those posers care about is looking like they care <laughs> and that is really that's really the, the that's the theme that's the theme of this movie that's the sin there's always a sin in a horror film and that's the one here in green inferno these guys are a bunch of self
1: righteous blowhards exactly. who don't understand the causes for real right. they don't understand the people they don't know, they know, how don't the know what the world works getting into right they can't can't do anything without their cell phones. Exactly.
0: And they go out to Peru where they don't belong, where they aren't wanted, and they mess things up, and look what happens. Peru eats them alive, <laughs> literally. Uh, I thought this movie was absolutely hilarious. This cracked me up from start to finish. What did you think, Kristen?
1: I did like seeing these irritating activists get their due. Because yes. Even though I, at the beginning of this podcast, was talking about how I would you know meet with heads of restaurants about environmental yes. issues in high school, which I really cared about— I believed in meeting and conversation and I had these other friends who actually believed in chaining yourself to trees and doing yes. that kind of stuff and those friends I never agreed with we really were splintered I was like uh. I believe in lobbying I believe in you know paying attorneys to work these causes yep. I, and they they really believed in no you chain yourself to a building yep. or you chain yep. yourself to th- and and I always kind of Wanted to see them be eaten alive by cannibals. (laughs) I kind of did. We totally, you know, I'm sure there's a place for both kinds of activism. but um, So I did enjoy that. And yet I was really upset by the depiction of the native indigenous peoples in this movie. Yeah, they're just monsters. The the way the film, you know, zooms in and pulls out and zooms in and pulls out and depicts them as heartless monsters. They never have their lines actually uh, translated at all and the way Eli Roth made this movie I felt was really exploitative. He went down there into the deep, deep, deep parts of the rainforest yeah. where the people had never even seen film technology. Yep. He showed them an exploitation cannibal film and said, can you guys pantomime this and act this out? And they did. Yep. So now they're just being his puppets for this movie. It, it, The whole making of the movie me, drove me nuts and the depiction of the people drove me nuts. And so I, I just think it's, a really problematic film, even though I like seeing activists be eaten alive. <laughs> That's It's gross, by the way. It's very gross. Well, of co-
0: my God, I mean, it's, it's about as gross as you can them. be when you've got an R rating. Oh, yeah, people's eyes and tongues oh, and everything so are being gouged out. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's wildly, wildly gory. Um, yeah, the film has taken some heat from some um, NGOs and nonprofits uh, that have criticized it for exactly what you're saying. They feel that it, it basically supports harmful stereotypes of... Tribes people um, and that it 's not doing you know the rainforest and these people any favors i all I can really say is I disagree, and i don 't feel like um, you come away from from this film thinking, "Oh my God, Peru is filled with savages, and if you go there they 'll eat you. I think we all know that 's the case it 's fun and it 's funny, and what you 're really there to see is sort of uh, what you're really there to see is, is these horrible, lefty, privileged Westerners go out into Peru where, the, again, like I say, where they're not wanted, where nobody asked them to go. And, uh, you know, they get their just desserts, so to speak. And I think it's really just funny. It cracked desserts. me up. I thought, it, I thought it was hilarious. And I think the film is much smarter than people have given it credit for. I told you uh, earlier in this podcast that this film actually is doing something for the rainforest, Kristen. I'll mention it right now. They've teamed up with an advocacy site called Manga Bay. They're raffling off some things to raise funds for awareness uh, of the rainforest. And do you know what the prize is? What? Lunch with Eli Roth. Oh! you got to love it. you got to love a PR style like that. I thought Green Inferno was a hilarious, totally fun date. I thought Green Inferno
1: was trying to be a comedy, but it is so problematic that I couldn't laugh in the end. All right, well, stay with us because coming
0: up, we're going to be talking with the great P.J. O'Rourke, conservative political humorist. And he is the former editor of the National Lampoon, which is the subject of a new documentary, Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant, Dead. And we'll be talking to him uh, later on in this podcast. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And this is Movie Date.
1: And Rafer, we have a very special
0: guest today. We certainly do. P.J. O'Rourke, he is the former editor of The National Lampoon, uh, which is the subject of a new documentary, Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant, Dead, by Douglas Tirola, that looks back at the magazine's heyday and its influence on comedy over the coming decades. Uh, P.J. O'Rourke, uh, after he left The National Lampoon, became a very well-known uh, political uh, Humorist, uh, conservative, commentator, uh, surprisingly to some. Uh, He's also been called the most quoted man alive. And we spoke to him about uh, his years at the National Lampoon.
1: The first thing we wanted to know was really what it was like during that time and how the historical and cultural events of what were happening in America informed and set up the whole universe of what became National Lampoon. And this is what he told us.
2: All that um, um, sort of good cheer of the Kennedy era uh That ended, of course, uh in Dallas, and then all the fluffy nonsense of the flower power people um that ended with uh Charlie Manson and uh, Altamont and uh by the in the war, of course was still on at the time the lampoon was founded uh this this war that had clearly become unwinnable, and that uh, we didn't seem to know how to stop fighting. So it was a dark era. Uh, and Nixon was president. <laughs> well, right? It's it before Watergate, but, you know, with Nixon, <laughs> it was always dark. And uh, uh, so it, it, the the stage was set for um, a uh, we are going to make fun of everything. We don't care about anything for a sort of, I, you know, it's my. As my son, when he was about seven, would have said, I should worry, I should care, I'll pull down your underwear. <laughs> yes. But essentially the motto of, uh, we tried to dress that up in more adult terms, heirs to Lenny Bruce, et cetera, but that's what it came down to. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, PJ, bring us into those offices during this political time, and inside the offices, the film makes it look like it's a lot of marijuana and... You know, no one's getting enough Dad sleep. Everyone's partying true. a lot. Or um, how, how would you how would you characterize that the first office? Place,
2: it was like way more beer than anything else. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, uh, I was by the time I got to Lampoon, which was a little late. I mean, I I I, I started to freelance for Lampoon maybe late '70. Lampoon was founded in 1970. I started to freelance in late '72, and wasn't full-time until 73, so I missed some of the very beginning. But I have a feeling, I mean, these are Harvard kids. I mean, from Harvard back in the day when there were no girls, among other things. I mean, these kids, these were kids who carried their books funny and got, you know, got tipsy on on on, 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 on two um, pink gins, you know. <laughs> or pink ladies would be more like it. I mean, this is... This was not like your heavy-duty party crowd. And by the time I got there, I, I'd done all that, and I was pretty much finished with that sort of thing. Uh, you know, a few a few of the people there were fond of pot, and you know, there was a little cocaine going around, as there was everywhere in those <laughs> days. But it was not a big party scene.
1: You said earlier these are all guys coming from an era of Harvard being a men's school.
2: Did yeah, you- it was a boys' club. There's no doubt yeah. about that. That we had some. We had some talented uh, uh, women writers. There was uh, uh, Emily Prager and Beats. But really, I think I may have named them all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You had Sherry Flanagan, the cartoonist. Oh,
2: no, no. We had women cartoonists, yeah, and illustrators, yeah, in in plenty. There was probably far better gender balance over on the art side of things. Uh, You know, I mean, it was, we're, we're going back a long time now, 45 years. And um, women just didn't play the same role in uh, in entertainment as, as they do now.
0: Anything in the lampoon, looking back, that you're embarrassed by? Anything that causes you a twinge of, of embarrassment or regret?
2: Oh, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we really thought in the in the '70s, we really thought that we could that we could do. What Lenny Bruce had been arrested for doing, and people would love us for having done it—that is to say, that we could um, uh, we could use all sorts of prejudice, um, uh, uh, you know, against ethnic groups, against races, against women, uh, whatever—and we could use it to explode itself, you know, and uh, that that we were on firm ground. Everybody had grown up. Nobody was going to be offended by a words or or c words or all the other <laughs> words in the in the alphabet, and, uh, uh, and and that we were we were really free to. Well, that's just not true. People get their feelings hurt anyway, no matter how enlightened they are.
0: So so it's interesting because I I had um, I read you know here and there uh, that uh, that when you kind of uh, I- I- emerged in I guess it would be like the 80s as this uh, you know very well known uh, political conservative humorist um i'd read it described as a as an about face and i will say from my standpoint i was surprised um but uh is that how you would describe it was this a real no, uh, revelation been, for you uh,
2: i had i was born and raised a, a republican a real rock rib republican my my uh, my great-grandfather was friends with president mckinley um my grandmother said there were no real republicans since taft uh-huh. Uh, I grew up in that atmosphere. Uh, I wandered off into communism to meet girls uh, for a while in the 60s. (laughs) When uh, when I met some uh, and I was over it, I came back. So I have been a communist and a a Republican. I've never been a Democrat.
0: (laughs) P.J. O'Rourke, thank you so much for joining us.
2: You're welcome. It was fun.
1: That's P.J. O'Rourke, conservative humorist and columnist, as well as former editor of National Lampoon
0: you're wearing sweatpants it's monday don't mind the queen of england i don't know does the queen of england only wear sweatpants when
2: you are a man sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room
0: Yes, Kristen, it's sweatpants time. Elastic waistband. Here we go. And this time I think we've got a great sweatpants pick. It is the new Muppets series called simply The Muppets. And it is by uh, Bob Cushel and um, Bill Prody. They're both uh, veteran television writers with credits include The Gilmore Girls and The Simpsons. And this time, uh, you remember the last in the Muppet show, uh, they were also doing their own sort of vaudeville review, their live, live stage show. Uh, this time they're doing a very modern, current television show. Yeah. Up late with Miss Piggy. She's the host. <laughs> Kermit is the producer. Kermit and Piggy have broken up, yet they're still trying to maintain a working relationship, be two adults that can work together, be civil. Here's a clip. Okay, Piggy, look, maybe I didn't handle this the best way. Ha! But I can't understand why why you'd want to screw up the show just because what? No ha? No ha? Okay, just because you just because you had an embarrassing screen test with her. It had nothing to do with that screen test. You insensitive toad. Mm.
1: Now, unlike the old Muppets show, the original one, which, as you said, was very vaudeville, which was produced in England because apparently no one in the US and Hollywood wanted to make the show. They thought nobody would watch it, which they were dead wrong on that. Dead wrong. Dead wrong. This new one um, is not old fashioned. As you said, it's very modern. It feels a little bit like The Office um, because yes. you have that kind of mockumentary feel about it. Yes. Crossed with The Tonight Show. One on one interviews yes. with
0: each character, gonzo, yep. uh, scooter, whoever yep. it is. Yeah.
1: All that. And, and it's so thoroughly modern. There are a lot of jokes about everything from homosexuality to interracial dating or yes. interspecies dating. Yes. Uh, and all of these different kinds of modern things that in the. Old version of the Muppets I don't really remember
0: being there no well I think that's one of the things about this that is so remarkable is how um just how resilient the Muppets have been over the decades and how easy it seems for the Muppets to just transition right into 2015. The idea of a late show with Miss Piggy as the host is perfect. Who else out of that crew would be the host of a late show? And Kermit as her producer is a great idea. Of course, you've got Dr. Teeth and the band as the house band. That's perfect. And it all just works well. Um, I thought this was so funny and there are so many good lines in there i will say it's a little odd uh, that this movie, that, excuse me, that this series is a little more adult, just a tad more adult. The
1: old one was pretty adult, though, No, too. but I mean
0: adult in terms of, uh, it, it's a little it's a little odd to hear Kermit uh, use innuendo. There's a scene where he's <laughs> talking about his new girlfriend, Denise, who's also a pig and also works on the show, and um, he's being interviewed, and Kermit said, well, we met at a, a cross-promotional marketing event, and we wound up uh, cross-promoting.
2: And I just yes, thought, whoa, yes.
0: Kermit. Like, <laughs> that was that's new for Kermit the Frog. And so on the one hand, it's a little jarring, but on the other hand, it it's all just so seamless and the setup is so perfect. And God help me, I just think Kermit and Piggy are the most wonderful screen romance in history. I just really do they are so perfect. They are they are so much more believable than almost any other screen couple I can think of and I love them to death. I always have. They're great. I love this show.
1: Mm, well, I have to say, Reefer, I don't love it as much as you do. I'm really? still warming up to this and I think I'm like a lot of people out there in the world who have I just have such nostalgia for the old sure. Muppets and um, I'm still getting my footing with this new version of the Muppets and I'm not Totally on board yet. I, I want to be, and I did laugh out loud at a few points, but I, I still, and I, I, blame myself for this. I still am, am in the past. I think. And Interesting. The, and this new version of the show, I'm not quite on board with yet. I'm going to give it more of a chance. Okay. Because I just love the Muppet so much. I love these characters, and um, I actually, I don't know if I think Kermit and Piggy are the best couple in the whole world. I always thought that he was kind of a negligent, you know, non-committal jerk in that relationship and yes i know she's got a big personality and she's she can be very challenging to date but i just always thought that come on kermit throw yourself in there oh interesting don't be so standoffish very interesting give a little love this woman loves you and she constantly tells you Kermit, i love you so much and yes but she's so controlling
0: that's the problem that's the problem that's that's the that's the magic of the tension (laughs) she she can't let kermit be a man that's the problem.
1: So you think if he mans up, she won't want him anymore?
0: I don't know. I don't know. But that's, that's the endless, endless tension in the relationship. <laughs> T'was ever thus, Kristen. I love it. I love the Muppets. For once, I'm, for once, I'm on the side of modernity. I'm, going, I'm moving forward, Kristen. I'm moving forward with the new Muppets. I love this show. All right. We'll see if I can move ahead with it. Okay.
1: All right. As always, though, Rafer, we have to say goodbye, but we do so... With the magic of trivia. That's right. What did we ask last week,
0: Refer Last week we were talking about Everest, the big IMAX-sized mountain climbing adventure epic, and that made us think of some other mountain climbing films. There aren't a ton of them, but we found one golden oldie. Here it is. When you're climbing, your, your mind is clear. Free of all confusion, you, you have focus. And Suddenly, the light becomes sharper, and sounds are richer, and you are filled with the deep, powerful presence of life.
2: He was a legendary explorer who set out on an expedition to the Himalayas. Weather's getting bad; we should rope up. And disappeared.
0: We asked you to name that film, and we got this correct answer. Hi, guys. My name is Helder, and I'm calling from Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And in response to your trivia question for this week, I believe that is Brad Pitt
1: in the movie Seven Years in Tibet. Pretty good flick.
0: I remember it well. Love you guys. Bye.
1: Helder, great job. Your your name's Helder,
0: right? Helder? That's what he said, Helder.
1: Helder, I hardly knew her. Oh, Oh, Kristen! I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. You've Elder. turned into Fozzie Bear. <laughs> ah, that's correct. Seven years yes. in Tibet starring Brad Pitt. And...
0: You wouldn't know it from that accent.
1: Oh, das ist gut. I is? was in kind the of Himalayas.
0: <laughs> that's not Christoph Waltz. <laughs> and this week, Kristen, what's our trivia question?
1: Well, this week, in honor of cannibal movies where we eat humans. They need
0: more honor, <laughs> those cannibal movies.
1: Here's a clip of a movie which cannibalism is also featured in. i are gonna need a separate truck for all your stuff. What the hell is going on here? Looks like your wife's leaving you, mister.
2: I'm oh, sure she is.
1: Hey, don't you touch her. Let go. Get oh. yeah. him! Put oh. her down. <laughs> right. oh. Let's go. Come on. You're okay. Let's
2: get Miss Ruth. Get out of here. Oh.
1: Come on, Miss Ruth. <laughs>
0: Come on. on. Come on. on. Go. If you ever touch her again, I'll kill you.
1: If you know what that movie is, give us a call. 5717 Movies.
0: Or you can write to us at facebook.com slash date podcast.